It's time for another Kate's Take Flashback Friday episode. We're re-airing an episode of the first show that Gals Guide produced, and it just so happens to tie into Denise's one cool movie thing. In this episode, the theme of beauty and old age is explored by looking at Howl's Moving Castle. This episode was part of a Hayao Miyazaki exploration to look for universal themes about how to live a human life, even when it's as fantastical as a walking house. Originally aired January 26, 2017. Enjoy our Flashback Friday, Kate's Take, Howl's Moving Castle. Welcome to Kate's Take from galsguide.org. Each week I talk about a movie that has shaped my life, and I'll teach you how to dissect a movie and find the life lessons hidden within. Hello, and welcome back to Kate's Take. For the month of January, I have been talking about the films of Hayao Miyazaki. I started with getting us into the spirit of adventure with Spirited Away. Then we took a deep dive into the themes of rage and hate with Princess Mononoke. Then I used Castle in the Sky to talk about the importance of finding your roots. Today, we finish up Miyazaki with the amazing Howl's Moving Castle, and we talk about beauty in all of its forms. Now, I adore this film because it contains a well-layered view about beauty and old age. Now, the way in which I'm going to talk about the film, I'm going to be focusing on the themes of beauty and old age, and that is quite different than what is in the book, or so I'm told. Now, this is where I feel bad. I own the novel by Diane Winnie-Jones, but I have yet to read it. In fact, Miyazaki published a list of 50 children's books that he recommends, and my family is in the process of collecting and reading them all. And Howl's Moving Castle is in that stack of books. So I'm relying on a video that explains the variations of the book and the film. And I'll actually link both of those in the comments. Uh, The recommended reading list from Miyazaki as well as the book versus film breakdown in the description. So in fact, I've actually been listing all of my sources on our episodes now since episode 7. I saw a video caster simply destroy another video caster for not only having sources, but seemingly making up statistics that either sounded good or rhymed. So I now list all the sources that I use. So, but back to the book. So the book, uh, I'm told, doesn't really deal with the themes of beauty and old age. There's also barely a mention of war. So I feel bad because these are the two things that I absolutely love about this film. But I am sure sure there's lots in the book that aren't in the film that I would love as well. However, because it's Kate's take and I speak movies, uh, let's get into the movie adaptation of Howl's Moving Castle. So the film is a story about a hat maker named Sophie who doesn't think she's beautiful. She's rescued by a wizard named Howl, and that puts her in the path of the Witch of the Waste, who is revengeful against Howl because he pursued her and then left her. So she puts a spell on Sophie that turns her into an old woman. 
Sophie ventures into the mountains of the Waste to try to find the witch and have her remove the spell. But she struggles with her now old body being cold and slow, and she makes her way to Howl's Castle as it walks along the Waste. There she befriends a scarecrow, cast also in a witch's spell, a fire demon named Calcifer, a young wizard, and of course, Howl himself. She works as a cleaning lady, but soon gets involved with the war effort because a war is on and all the wizard and witches are to report to the king for duty. Now, Howell has two identities, and he's trying to keep himself hidden from the Witch of the Waste. He's known as the Pendragon, and he's also known as the Wizard Jenkins, and both are being called to the king. So not wanting to go... Uh, He sends Sophie to act as his mother, and this puts her right in the middle of the action. Sophie arrives the same time as the Witch of the Waste. Both are to be received by Sullivan, who is seemingly the lead of the wizards uh, and witches, and also the right hand to the king. The Witch of the Waste has her powers stripped from her, and both Sophie and Howell narrowly escape Sullivan's trap. Sullivan continues to come after Howell as the war gets closer to home. Howell is fighting off the bombs in the city, and Sophie is trying to save the moving castle. Calcifer is the fire demon that powers the castle, and he is connected to the spirit of Howell. If he dies, the other dies. So we learn that Calcifer is a fallen star, and that Howell traded his heart for stronger magic. And now the bumbling and powerless Witch of the Waste realizes that Calcifer is Howell's heart, and she takes it because she wants Howell's love still. But love burns in this case, and Sophie pours water on the witch and Calcifer, and she puts Howell and Calcifer's life in jeopardy. Sophie takes the now blue glowing remains of Calcifer and returns it to Howell's heart, freeing Calcifer and bringing Howell back his heart. The movie ends with everybody being kissed by their true love and spells are broken all over the place. The war ends. There is a happy, happy, joy, joy moment of the castle walking away with Howell and Sophie in love. So on the surface level, uh, it is a story of magic, war, and love, and it's wonderful except you know maybe the ending but it is something that you learn to forgive in a Miyazaki movie because it's about the journey and not the destination but if you add on top of that story uh, breathtaking visuals of a steampunk castle walking around on chicken legs you've got an amazing journey Now, a movie's themes, though, are what give a movie its depth and its purpose and its grounding. And any art should be there to teach you something about what it means to live a human life. And in this film, it's that theme of beauty. And as simple as that sounds, it's a very universal concept that connects through varying cultures and beliefs. We have an inward and outward defined set of beauty. We have formed consciously and subconsciously our perceptions of beauty of the world around us. Now, Margaret Wolfe Hungerford, a.k.a. The Duchess, is credited to being the first to publish the phrase, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, in a book, Molly Bond, in 1878. And that means that beauty is subjective. And it is. Uh, I can say that this film is beautifully drawn and someone can say that it's not their cup of tea. However, if enough people say that the work of Miyazaki is beautiful, 
then it becomes the standard. Uh, it becomes the comparison and the inspiration for similar art. Beauty is always subjective, but there are certain universal elements that give pleasure to the senses and exalts the mind or spirit. And that is actually the definition of beauty from Merriam-Webster. And if those elements connect in a way, it becomes the cultural standard of beauty. So take, for example, there's this wonderful video series. It's called 100 Years of Beauty, and it's by Cut. At the time of this episode, they have 29 videos released in this series, and they show the last 100 years of makeup, hair, and fashion for men and women around the world. They're fascinating to watch these quick changes from one decade to another and seeing what cultural perceptions of beauties come and go and come back again. Uh, it shows in one way that beauty is not finite. It's ever changing. And also what we learn is that beauty can also be unlearned and changed and challenged. So in the film, we meet Sophie and she is decorating a hat with flowers and embellishments. And the other girls seem to swoon over seeing Howl's castle in the distance. And they talk about a rumor that Howell tore the heart out of another girl, and then they raz each other because he only pries on pretty girls. So Sophie is dressed plainer than the other girls. The hat that she chooses to wear herself is not as colorful or as embellished as the other hats that she makes. Uh, what's telling, though, is when Sophie looks at herself in the mirror uh, before she goes out into the square, she gives herself a look almost like you're taking a selfie. She she has a little flirt in her eye and a little head tilt, but she too soon puts her head down almost in an act of shame or self-defeat. And it's this visual cue that we know that Sophie does not see herself as pretty. So when Sophie is trying to get to her sister at the bakery, she avoids the parade crowds and she takes the back alleyways where there's a very uncomfortable scene with two guards. The guard calls her, quote, a little mouse that has lost its way. The guard also asks how old she is and if she lives nearby. So Sophie tells him she's not lost and to leave her alone. And one of the guards even says, I think she's even cuter when she's scared. It's times like these that I am glad that there is a video feed so you can see my shade. This is predator harassment, and most women will experience it at some point in their life. We're taught to think of it as harmless, but what we do is we internalize it that if we were prettier, we'd be courted and not treated like weak prey. Being dropped at gorgeous or a plain Jane has nothing to do with whether or not you'll be harassed. It's about power, it's about control, and it's about opportunity. But that is the way myself and others internalize it. So Sophie escapes her situation by Howell pretending to be her sweetheart. This also makes me uncomfortable because it's a shining knight in armor that is coming to the rescue and that rarely ever happens in real life. And now Sophie is trading two harassing guards for a guy who is rumored to tear the hearts out of young women and he's touching her. Oh, and he also says, don't hold it against them. They're not all bad. I think this is uh, 2004's version of the hashtag, not all men. But Sophie has three things that are going for her. Number one, Howell casts a spell on the guards and has them march away. 
Number two, she doesn't think she's pretty enough for Howell's rumored violence. And number three, he takes her on a flight above the city, out of danger, and to the bakery. So when Sophie talks to her sister, Letty, uh, Sophie says that she doesn't think she's beautiful, and she thinks that that's what saved her from Howell. It's also important to point out how cordial the men are to Letty. Letty is the blonde-haired, big-blue-eyed, well-put-together bakery clerk, and everyone seems to acknowledge Letty and ignore Sophie. Uh, These are also visual cues and conversations that add to our understanding of how Sophie feels about herself. So when the Witch of the Waste puts the spell on Sophie that turns her into an old woman, Sophie actually embraces it. She says, quote, this isn't so bad, is it? Your clothes finally fit you. I see this kind of in two ways, uh, that she's putting herself down in an attempt to accept the social uh, construct of beauty, but also the other way is that she's free, free from the advancement of men like the creepy guards. Uh, As terrible as that is, uh, being elderly is like an invisibility cloak uh, to harassment uh, to those who don't know what you looked like when you were younger. Sophie's also free of her own self-loathing and stopping the comparison of beauty to herself and other women. So I relate the scene when Sophie embraces her older self to when I was finally brave enough to go to the grocery store without makeup. Now, when I lived in Los Angeles, I didn't go anywhere without makeup. Uh, Even when I moved to the South and had kids, it was not an option to go out without my face on. I thought people would stare or that they would laugh or that they would think that I was gravely ill. I was lucky to find amazing friends who never wore makeup and friends who taught me that they loved me just for who I was uh, and not on how on point my outfit was and not even how clean my house was when they'd come over. Now, my beautiful, beautiful mother, she rarely wore makeup. Uh, Dressing up for her meant eyeliner. And that's something that I still can't get right. So absolute kudos to her. Uh, But her mother, my grandmother, um, she wore makeup every single time. I've never seen her without makeup. And she would tell me, you're so much prettier with makeup on. So yeah, I've always kind of been stuck in between the two. So I had to slowly test the waters with quick trips to the gas station or to the drive through window without makeup uh, to learn that the world doesn't end and that no one really cares. I've come to learn that really nobody's paying attention and it only matters what I feel. Now, it's taken decades to learn, uh, but putting on pounds of makeup and all this stuff for Kate's take and for the public speaking events that I do, I treat it as war paint more than beauty. Uh, It's more to psych myself up in the process than it is to please an audience. And yes, I know I'd be taken far more seriously and more professionally if I'm put together with the latest trends. But honestly, I'm me without it. The message and what I speak about is still the same. So seeing Sophie free of that beauty burden uh, makes me hopeful that uh, for my own old age and for times that I won't have to do this crap (laughs) or in one way, just 
feel less burdened by it. So getting old, though, for Sophie uh, sets up a new series of challenges. When her bones are cracking from walking, she says, quote, being old is worse than I thought. And she struggles to walk in the waist and she's cold and she moves slow and her bones hurt. Uh, When she's looking for a stick, she stumbles on a scarecrow that has a spell on him and she embraces her age and gets the scarecrow to feel sorry for her and to help her find a place to stay. And that brings her to hitch a ride on Howl's Moving Castle. So she gets warm next to the fire and she realizes that, quote, one good thing about getting old so nothing frightens you. Could it be that most of Sophie's fears actually had to do with her own lack of belief in her own beauty? Now, Howell, on the other hand, has elements in this beauty theme as well. When Sophie cleans his bathroom and moves around his magic potions, his hair turns orange and Howell has a massive fit. Uh, He actually says, now I'm repulsive. I can't live like this. I see no point in living if I can't be beautiful. And because he's a wizard, his shame spiral includes calling the spirits of darkness and oozing green slime all around himself. And at first, Sophie just can't sympathize. And she shouts, fine, you think you've got it bad? I've never been beautiful once in my entire life. She does take a moment to collect herself, and she comes back and she helps Howell. So this is where Sophie learns that the Witch of the Waste is after Howell because he pursued her, thinking she was beautiful, and then he realized she wasn't, and he left. In the film, it's excused as Howell doesn't have a heart, so he can't have empathy. But looking at the film in terms of beauty, it shows when beauty is the most important thing, there are dangerous consequences. Consequences like the Witch of the Waste putting a spell on Sophie and Howell being scared all the time. His focus on beauty over empathy also stifled his relationship with his teacher Sullivan, who says Howell has been using magic for entirely selfish reasons. So when you make decisions and friendships that are based on superficial reasons, they're a house of cards. Uh, Things like looks and wealth and even power do not last forever. And what you think you are building on can all be gone tomorrow if the core of it is superficial. And that's why I struggle with the number of uh, views and subscribers really mattering, because as much as I want to share the show to as many people uh, who enjoy it and need to hear it, I know that YouTube and iTunes could be gone tomorrow and replaced with something else, and that's a brand new numbers to increase again. But what I also know is what can't be taken away is the person's experience with the material that you create. That's something that can't be taken away. And when it comes to superficial friendships, I have had people befriend me only to get to know somebody I knew that was more connected or that was more popular. And that is what it is. It simply can't bother me because that would stop me from befriending someone new out of fear that they were going to do the same thing. And I would miss out on connections and lessons and new points of view if I judge people only by superficial reasons or by past heartaches. So I find beauty in friendships and creating content that makes me happy and exalts my mind and spirit. Because at the end of the day, that is all I can take with me. 
So in movies, there is always one thing that a character really needs. And for Sophie, that one thing is to be told that she's beautiful. And so when Howell tells her that she's beautiful, she is madly in love. And I can't hate on this too much because I actually did it in a film that I wrote and directed called Ingenue. It was a feature film where a character loved babies. Uh, she really wanted to be a mom. And when she found out that she couldn't be a mom, she sent her on a new path. But because it was the one thing she really wanted in the story, at the end of the film, I had her pregnant because it was the one thing she wanted. And that's the way movies work. So yes, I wish that Sophie learned she was beautiful on her own. And yes, I wish she embraced her own beauty and uniqueness without having to be told. But damn it, sometimes we just need to be told. Sometimes the voices in our head are so loud and so consistent that the voices from those that we love are stronger and they break through and they allow us to uncover that missing piece that we always knew was there, but we just couldn't find it. So the important thing is that Sophie learned on her own when she was in her old lady form was that she loved the beauty of nature. She says, quote, when you're old, all you want to do is stare at the scenery. It never seemed so peaceful before. So Sophie found beautiful things and beauty in the world, just not in herself. That took some time and it took some help. And I would like to think with more time and wisdom, she probably would have found it on her own. So learn from Sophie. Find beauty in all of its forms and ages in the world. Learn from Howl that the heart is a heavy burden, but when you embrace and you connect with it, you care less about superficial things and more about what really matters. Empathy and meaningful connections are what make us better people. So I hope you have enjoyed Miyazaki Month. Next week, it's Groundhog's Day. Kate's Take is brought to you by Gal's Guide to the Galaxy. For more information, including links to our Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, visit galsguide.org. 